This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 216. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the conclusion of my science fiction story, The Nearness of You. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to episode 212 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Jill is on a mission to make amends after Tad and Sarah's disastrous encounter on Friday night. Jill and Tad made a grievous mistake when they didn't disclose Jill's existence to Sarah before she invited Tad back to her apartment. Sarah figured out that Tad was running an instance, letting someone else watch them having sex without her permission. Feeling understandably hurt, humiliated, and betrayed, Sarah screamed at Tad to get out of her house, then blocked his attempts to contact her to sort things out. In the aftermath, Jill came to the conclusion that she was not helping Tad by staying around so long. Her presence was just a burden to him, keeping him stuck in the past and preventing him from healing. She decided that she would terminate her instance, putting an end to her existence as a digital ghost. But before shutting herself down, Jill felt that she owed Sarah an apology. So for the first time in three years, she set her instance to public, allowing herself to be seen by others with AR implants. Then she walked down to Sarah's classroom during her prep period and told her the truth about what had happened to her. She asked Sarah to forgive Tad, to give him another chance. She thinks they'd be good for each other, and Tad needs something real. More real than her. But Sarah surprises Jill. Her scientific curiosity gets the better of her, and she starts asking Jill questions about her existence as a digital consciousness. She confesses that she's not sure if her own self, housed in a brain firing electrochemical signals, is any more real than Jill's, with its microprocessors and digital storage. Most of all, she is deeply disturbed by Jill's plan to terminate herself. To Sarah, it feels like a form of suicide and that's something she has intimate, painful experience with. She tells Jill about a student of hers, Araceli, who had taken her own life because she thought she was too much of a burden to the people she loved. From Sarah's perspective, it isn't right for Jill to end herself because she thinks it will make someone else's life better. Sarah's words move Jill, but she doesn't know how she can go on being a virtual ghost. It hurts too much to be so close to the person she loves and unable even to touch him. But then, Sarah gets the spark of inspiration in her eyes. And maybe a glimmer of hope. I have an idea, she says. (laughs) 
The Nearness of You Written and read by Chris Lester Part 5 We talk for the rest of Sarah's prep period my doubts and misgivings slowly giving way to excitement. It has been so long since I have had anyone to talk to besides Tad, so long since I have had a perspective on the world beyond his own. Fear has kept me trapped inside a bubble one person wide. Fear of others' judgment, fear of their pity, fear of being dismissed as a malfunctioning simulation, or worse, an insult to the real Jill's memory. I see now that this has been a mistake. No one person can be the entire world to someone else. Tad could not be it for me, and I certainly could not be it for him. Sarah gives me something I have denied myself for too long. A friend, an ally, a willing co-conspirator in my dreams for the future. I return to Tad's classroom. He doesn't ask where I have gone. He is waiting in dread for a visit from Sarah, or worse, a summons from the principal. My instance is still set to public, but the children do not have their implants yet, so they do not see me. I walk among them, watching them learn and laugh, and share their private conversations when Tad's back is turned. A few of them have noticed the black cloud that hangs over their teacher, but most of them are too caught up in the little dramas of their own lives to give it much thought. I think of Araceli, and imagine each of the lives that these young men and women are connected to. The loss of any one of them would create ripples through dozens, even hundreds of other lives, ripples that would, in turn, affect people they have never met. It is those connections, I realize, that make each one of them more than a set of vital statistics more than a solitary program running on hardware made of neurons and neurotransmitters. It is our connections that make us human. Seventh period comes and goes, and Tad begins cleaning up the classroom, getting ready for the next day's work. He doesn't notice when Sarah sidles up to the entrance, her slim shoulder leaning against the doorframe. The afternoon light slants through a window in the hall behind her, lighting up her hair like liquid gold. Hello, Sarah, I say brightly. I'm glad you could join us. Tad freezes in place, then spins around to look at the door. His face has gone white, and I feel a cold sweat break out over his body. Sarah nods politely to me in greeting. Hi, Jill. Thanks again for the invitation. Confusion has joined the fear on Tad's face. He looks back and forth between us, his mouth gaping. The fingers of his right hand flicker through a series of commands, and I see the look of dawning horror when he realizes that I have made my instance public. Sarah strides into the room, spreading her hands wide in invitation. Her look encompasses both of us. So, Tad, Jill came to see me earlier. We've got some stuff to talk about. Tad's reflexive terror is subsiding now, replaced by a quiet wariness. I guess we do, yeah, 
He sits down at one of the tables, gestures to the adjacent chairs in invitation. Sarah takes a seat, and I slide into the space on his other side, across the table from her. I understand why you didn't tell me about Jill, Sarah says, her voice low and sympathetic. But you really should have, at least before we had sex. Tad winces and hangs his head. I know. I'm sorry. I just... It was going so well and I didn't know how you'd react. I didn't want to make things awkward. Sarah leans in close to him, catches his eye. As my grandpa used to say, epic fail. Tad can't help but laugh at that, and Sarah and I laugh with him. It breaks some of the tension in the room, and I see his shoulders relax a little. Yeah, he says, with a rueful expression. I guess it was. I'm sorry. I forgive you, she says gently. She takes his hand, squeezes it. I think you also need to apologize to Jill, though. She's basically been stuck on a leash for the last three years. A girl needs her space, you know. Her tone is light and teasing, but he still flinches a little. I know. I wish there were more I could do for her, but... He looks over at me, his eyes full of an old pain I know all too well. People wouldn't understand. Sarah raises one index finger dramatically in the air, then points it at herself. People, right here, she says wryly. Tad blushes. Fair point. But you're also a pretty amazing people. Way better than most, in my opinion. Now it's Sarah's turn to blush. Her eyes flit away from his, self-consciously, but a small smile curls the corners of her lips. Tad, I say, Sarah has offered to let me transfer my instance over to her. I want to do it. He looks at me in surprise. For how long? I shrug. Maybe a week to start with. It's been so long since I've had anyone else to talk to. We'd like some time to get to know each other. Think of it as a vacation, Sarah says. Jill's going to be my roommate for a while. We'll go shopping together, watch chick flicks, talk about guys. It'll be great. Tad looks back and forth between us. I can tell he's feeling torn. A part of him will miss me dearly, but another part, a part he has refused to acknowledge for the last three years, also badly needs a break. He turns to Sarah. So, does this mean you're still interested in... us? His finger twitches back and forth between himself and her. Sarah covers his hand again with her own. That's part of what I need to figure out. Because it's not just us. It's us. She gestures in a circle with her other hand, encompassing all three of us. I've known you for almost two years now, but Jill and I just met. If this is going to work, it needs to work for all three of us. Which means Jill and I have some major catching up to do. Tad rolls this over in his mind for a long moment. Then, at last, he nods. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Smiling, I open my control panel and send the conference call invitation to Sarah. She accepts, 
and I feel a new set of sensory inputs come online as I gain access to her implants. Tad verifies the connection, then looks over at me, uncertainty flickering across his expression. I nod to him in encouragement. I'm ready, love. Tad's finger twitches on his controls, and my connection to him goes dark. My instance is still set to public, so he can see me, but for the first time in three years, I cannot feel what he feels. For a moment, there is a stab of pain, of loss, and then something sweeter, a quiet sensation of freedom. I check my sensory inputs. They're in the default positions, with touch and vision on the left, scent and hearing on the right, taste and temperature in the middle. The sliders are grayed out, inactive. Sarah gestures at her own control panel, issues the unlock command, and all of my controls light up green. She blushes, and I feel the heat on my own virtual skin. She has just given me unrestricted access to her physical body. It is an extraordinarily intimate gift. Everything looks good from here, Sarah says, dismissing her control screen and refocusing on me. You ready to do the thing? I can feel her heartbeat quicken, and virtually, mine does the same. Yes, please. Sarah turns back to Tad, who has been watching all of this with a tangled mixture of hope, loss, and joy. She takes his hand in both of hers. If you're willing, Tad, your wife would like to kiss you. Her cheeks turn a little pinker, and I can feel the blood rushing into them. Well, we both would, to be honest. You're a good kisser. Tad lets out a sound that is half laughter, half sob. His eyes are bright with tears. Yes, please, he echoes. Sarah nods to me, and I step through the table and position myself over top of her, mirroring her body posture as exactly as I can. From Sarah's perspective, I nearly disappear, though if she looks closely, she will see the faint image of my arms and legs against her own. For Tad, his implants will show me as a half-transparent overlay on Sarah's solid form, not erasing her and not disappearing inside her, but both of us present at the same time, united. I slide my controls all the way to the right, and my sense of my own virtual body disappears. Now I am inside Sarah, seeing through her eyes. She raises her hands experimentally in front of her face, moves them back and forth. Our limbs move as one. Tad is watching, a look of wide-eyed wonder on his face. This is incredible, he whispers. At Sarah's direction, we rise from our chair, a slow smile on our face. We grab the edge of the table and pull it out of the way, exposing Tad's lap, then sit astride him, wrapping our arms around his neck. It's about to get even better, Sarah says, and then our lips meet his. Two Years Later Traveling the global net always gives me a strange sense of vertigo. There is a moment, when the packets are in transition, when I am neither here nor there, when my sense of my own body is suspended, and I am no longer receiving inputs from anyone else's. 
For an instant, I hang suspended in nothingness, and I wonder if that is what death is like. But only for an instant, and then I am wherever I had intended to be. Which, in this case, is our living room. I look around, see Sarah's cat, Jasper, dozing on the couch in a sunbeam. I coo at him, call his name, and tell him he's a good kitty. He can't hear any of it, but that's all right. He doesn't react when Tad does it either. Sarah comes out of the kitchen with a happy grin, waving to me excitedly. Welcome home, sweetie. She walks a little more slowly and carefully than is her wont. The swell of her pregnant belly makes her a little off balance. She mimes a hug in my direction. How is Tuscany? How's your sister? Both wonderful, I tell her honestly. We had such a lovely time. What about you? How are you doing? Sarah waggles a hand. Eh, she says, but her playful tone tells me she's not complaining too much. Whatever she was going to say next, she stops, her eyes going wide. Oh, come here, come here, you have to feel this. Quickly, I superimpose myself with her and slide my controls to the right. We reach under her blouse and press our hands against her belly. Our son feels like he's turning somersaults inside her. We laugh, the strangeness and the wonder of it overwhelming the momentary physical discomfort. That's amazing, I say, taking back control and sliding us apart again. It is, Sarah admits. Her face breaks out in a sudden, goofy grin. Our baby, she says, in a tone of conspiratorial glee. Our baby. I agree, and a feeling of warm contentment washes through me. Is that you, Jill? Tad calls. He's in the backyard, working on our little garden, and his voice drifts in through the screen door. Yes, lovely, I call back. Come here and kiss me hello. I slide back into Sarah's body as Tad comes inside. He's covered in dirt up to his elbows, and it takes him a minute to scrub up enough that he won't get Sarah's clothes dirty. When he takes us in his arms, though, and our lips meet, it's worth the wait. For the next hour I regale them with stories of my adventures. The week in Tuscany with my sister, the backpacking expedition in Peru with my friends Ben and Charles, the whitewater rafting trip through the Grand Canyon with Sarah's cousin Michelle. Since we came out to our friends and family, I've had more amazing experiences than the living Jill ever did. In many ways, I'm the perfect adventuring companion. I don't have to bring food or water, and I take up no extra space, but I can provide another set of eyes on any new experience, and another mind to help solve problems when they arise. I've been on the road for the last three months, and I have enough offers waiting to fill another six. But for now, I'm ready to be back home, with my real family. Especially since that family's about to grow one little person larger. We sit down for dinner. Juicy vat beef hamburgers, oven-roasted potatoes, fresh salad greens and tomatoes from the garden. I hop into Tad's body for this part, because pregnancy is doing weird things to Sarah's palate, and the food tastes better to me with Tad's tongue. Afterwards, we go out on the back porch and nestle up together on the bench swing, our arms wrapped tenderly around Sarah. We kiss her, 
and she leans back against our chest, and we run our fingers through her hair. We watch the sun set and the stars come out, and we talk until the words run out, and then we sit together in companionable silence. The moon rises, painting us in silver light. Crickets chirp, cicadas buzz, and a cool evening breeze blows across the garden. Home. After a while, I shift apart from both of them, sitting on the edge of the porch in front of the swing. I look up at them, nestled together, and feel so blessed and so content. My two loves, my twin anchors to a life that had nearly cast me away. Sarah was right from the beginning. There is still so much more for me to do, more for me to be. And because of her and Tad, I will have the chance to keep doing, to keep being, more than I ever dreamed of. It is our connections that make us real. I smile and call up my music sub-program, pulling out a recording well over a hundred years old. The sweet voice of Ella Fitzgerald rises on the air, a melody that only Tad and Sarah and I can hear. They open drowsy eyes and smile down at me. Sarah nods her approval. We close our eyes and listen as the music blends with the night noises around us. When Louis Armstrong picks up the melody in his rough, froggy voice, Tad sings along in imitation of it, and Sarah and I laugh. We all join together on the last line, singing in unison, The Nearness of You. The final strains of the song fade away and leave us sitting there in the night, smiling into each other's eyes. I may not be touching them, I may only ever touch them with borrowed hands and lips, but there's no one in the world I've ever felt closer to. Sarah beckons to me, a hand stretched out in invitation. I hop into her body, and the three of us head off to bed together. The End And that was our story! I hope you enjoyed it. The Nearness of You is one of 13 stories in my forthcoming collection, Distant Realms, which will be on sale February 1st. You can pre-order a digital copy now, or stay tuned to this podcast, and I'll let you know when the paperback is available. The link will be in the show notes. Theodora Goss said, We have a strange idea about writing that it can be done, and done well, without a great deal of effort. Dancers practice every day. Musicians practice every day, even when they are at the peak of their careers. Especially then. Somehow, we don't take writing as seriously. But writing, writing wonderfully, takes just as much dedication. So let's see how I've been doing in my own practice. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 4,417 words this week, over the course of 5.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 768 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 72 days without breaking my chain. This week I continued working on None Shall Dwell Within, 
Kate has discovered a fundamental mismatch between her own goal in the investigation, which is to find the assassin and bring them to justice, and the goals of the intelligence agents, who are focused on preventing future attacks. This tension between law enforcement and counterterrorism is one that we've seen playing out in our own world, particularly in the strained relationships between police departments and spy agencies like the CIA. The United States has partly dealt with this problem through an unusual hybrid organization, the FBI, which is a federal police agency that also has a counterterrorism mission. The FBI therefore acts as a liaison between the counterterrorism world and the police world. But most countries don't have that sort of go-between, and there's no reason to automatically suppose that the Empire would, either. It will be interesting to see how this mismatch between their missions causes trouble for Kate as the story goes forward, and what steps she'll take to mitigate that. I'm now in Chapter 9, and the manuscript is over 25,000 words. I have an exciting announcement for all my audiobook listeners. Starting in 2020, the first three Metamore City audiobooks, Urban Legends, Things Unseen, and Divine Intervention, will be available through more than 40 new retailers, including Kobo, Audiobooks.com, and eStories. This is because of a wonderful new service called Findaway Voices. You can think of it as sort of like Smashwords, but for audiobooks. The books will still be available on Audible, but now folks will be able to get them without committing to the Audible-slash-Amazon sales ecosystem. Even more exciting, your local library will be able to purchase lending copies through Overdrive, which will open up my stories to a whole new group of listeners who've never had access to them before. I don't know exactly when the books will be available, because I'm waiting for my contract revision with Audible to be finalized but I'll definitely keep you informed as this situation develops. This is our last podcast for 2019, so I just want to take a moment and thank everyone who has supported me in the last year. That includes my wonderful patrons on Patreon, everyone who has bought my books, in any format, all the fellow podcasters who've shared my promo or talked up my work, everyone who's participated in the Fans of Metamore City group or the Discord server, and everyone who has rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast with other people. Thank you all for helping to make this writing life more fun and rewarding. Here's to many more years to come. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. 
The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.